This is the word of our immortal God. Exodus 18, beginning in verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. He said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they are to walk and what they must do. But moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, men who love truth and hate a bribe. Place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times." Every great matter they shall bring to you, but all the small matters they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and if God commands you, you will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. And a hard case they brought to Moses, but in any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Since the reading of the Lord's word this morning, let's pray and ask him to, to bless it to us. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we get to find you. Father, please reveal to us uh, who you are. Show us, Lord, what you have purposed for us in our lives. Teach us, Lord, what we are to do and how we are to walk. Lead us to Jesus, who is the fountain of all authority, of all power, and of all goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the fundamental truths of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has saved you by grace through faith. And that means that you, as an individual, as a person, you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus is your Savior. Moreover, Jesus calls himself your friend, your counselor, your mediator. So when we say things like, well, Jesus loves you, we say, we mean that, not in just a nice generic way, we mean Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you. He knows who you are. He has a relationship with you. But unfortunately, many Christians today, they believe that Christianity is only about your personal relationship with Jesus. So things like church, church membership, church authority, church discipline, when we start to talk about these things, many believe that these are optional at best, and some even believe they're oppressive. Things like church membership is oppressive. Church discipline is mean. That what really matters is your personal relationship with Jesus, and that's all that matters. And while it's true you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that very much matters, you and I are not meant to be Christians alone in our homes with the door shut. We're meant to be Christians in a church. 
in a community. And not just in fellowship with each other in a community, but we are meant to be led. We are meant to have leaders, to have people over us, to have authority over us. We're meant to submit to them. And so Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul. Because following Christ doesn't just mean having a personal relationship with Jesus. It means obeying Him and submitting to Him and His authority through the church, His body. And that means opening up your life. Inviting leaders to hold you accountable. And letting them teach you. Letting them feed you. And you need this. Because you can't do this life alone. You're not supposed to, and you can't. And our passage today teaches us that truth, that you can't do this alone through two lenses. The first is a negative lens. First, our passage shows us that when when we don't have or when we reject godly church leadership, our faith shrivels up. It's spiritually destructive. And unfortunately, history is riddled with examples of churches with dysfunctional leadership and the damage that that has done to people. And history is riddled with examples of Christians running from the accountability, running from church, running from authority, running from God's word, and thus making a shipwreck of their faith. But a passage also gives us a positive side of this. It doesn't just show us, here's what happens when you don't have godly leadership or when you reject it. But it also shows us what happens when you do. When you do have godly leadership and when you do submit to them, something beautiful starts to happen. The church begins to grow closer. People become more like Jesus. The community begins to to radiate, to shine, to to show the glory of God. To put it all into one word that shows what happens, what changes, how the church radiates, it's shalom. Or in English, peace. So to summarize where we're going, without godly leadership, you will wither. But with it, you will have peace. So that's where we're going this morning. So in our passage today, uh, remember that we're in a context, right? Last section that we covered, the first part of chapter 18, we saw how this is looking back. This is almost like a sigh of relief. This passage is saying, let's slow down. A lot has just happened. Let's remember where we're from. Jesus, God, has delivered us. In fact, God has plundered us from the Egyptians. He has brought us out by his mighty hand. And when Jethro hears this good news, this gospel, Jethro, even though he's not an Israelite, he believes. He rejoices. He confesses God. He blesses God's name. And he leads God's people in worship. And so all this, this section showed us, here's how we respond to the gospel. That we need to go back to what it really is all about. God has plundered us, so let us worship him. But that passage looked backwards. Now, as we come into this next section in chapter 18, we're beginning to look forwards. We're beginning to say, what does life look like now that we have been redeemed? Now that we are not in Egypt anymore, not enslaved, what does life look like? And a big part of that is, well... 
how are we going to be structured? How are we going to resolve disputes? What's, how do, are we going to have relationships with each other? What does it mean that Moses is you know, our representative before God? What does all this look like? And so Jethro... He observes a day in the life of Moses. Here's Moses, the the leader of God's people, the man that God has chosen, set apart for this purpose. And it says in verse 13 that Moses, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And when asked what he's doing, why he sits alone, Moses responds... um, He says uh, in verse 15, The people come to inquire of me of God. And when they have this dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. In other words, as as the Lord's representative and as Israel's leader, the people come to him for three reasons. First is to ask God something. Second is to mediate a dispute. And the third is to be taught the statutes of God and his laws, which is another way of saying to be taught God's word. What does God say? To which Jethro responds in verse 17, what you're doing is not good. Which is a little bit like, now wait a minute, what does this mean? Does this mean that they shouldn't go to Moses? Does this mean that Moses is doing something wrong, that he's an error, that the people are an error for going to Moses? And what he says is, notice he doesn't criticize Moses for doing this. He doesn't criticize Moses for taking responsibility. He doesn't say, no, you're not supposed to tell the people God's word. You're not supposed to mediate disputes. No, what he says is that Moses does have this authority, but the problem is in verse 18. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, the ESV does a pretty good job overall. What they translate here, though, is wear, them, wear yourselves out doesn't quite capture the, the power and the punch of the Hebrew. Because Jethro, what he says is, this, this is not good. You and the people will wither and decay. Because this is too heavy for you. You are not allowed to do this alone. You, sh- you can't do it alone. In other words, Jethro's concern isn't physical. He's not saying, Moses, Moses, you need to take a break. You need a vacation. You need to go to Hawaii for a, for a bit and then come back and do this. No, he's saying this is fundamentally flawed in a spiritual way. It's not simply that there's physical... He's worried that Moses is going to run out of the physical energy to do this, which, although that's probably true, it takes a lot to sit around morning and evening hearing people's problems... But what he's saying is that this setup, how this is working right now, is spiritually destructive, not just for Moses. Notice he says, you and the people. This is not just spiritually destructive for Moses, that Moses will wither away and decay, but that the people will wither. The people will suffer. So we ask, why? What's wrong? Well, there's two reasons. The first is that Moses is trying to hold everything together by himself. And because he's not God, he can't do that. He can't be God for the people. He's there to represent God, but he's limited. 
He's not just limited, but he's also sinful. And so when everything falls upon one limited, sinful man, what is going to happen? He's going to fail. And when everything depends upon one man, that will hurt not just him, but everybody. We don't have to look far into the history of the church to see example after example of churches that rose up around one man. Churches that that grew around one personality, one man's vision, and then it collapsed. And it hurt not just that man, but it hurt many, many people. Many people's faith withered because the church had been supported by one person, one fallen sinful man, and that is not good. The church is not meant to be led by one man unless his name is Jesus. But the second reason why it's spiritually dangerous, why it's destructive to just have one guy that everything depends upon is that when the people rely on one man, when they put their their trust in one guy, one leader who isn't named Jesus, he will fail. You will be disappointed. And your faith will be harmed. You're not meant to do it alone by yourself. And you're not meant to depend upon one man unless his name is Jesus. And so what happens when when people see leaders, especially when there's only one or two, when they see these leaders fail, what happens is they, they leave. They leave the church. They're disillusioned with church as a whole. They think, well, this must be every church. Because I've been to a church and suffered under a domineering pastor who had supreme authority and was not held accountable, I don't want to go to church anymore, if that's what it is. And so you try to go it alone. You try to live alone. You try to do this Christian walk alone. But the solution isn't to reject all church. The solution isn't to reject the idea of church authority. Their solution is not to reject leaders. To say, well, we're not supposed to have leaders then because they're all sinful. How can I submit to a sinful man? That's not the solution. Because the problem when you reject authority, when you check, reject church authority and church leaders, what you're really saying is, I am my own authority. Who will hold you accountable? Who will feed you? Who will walk alongside you as a fellow sinner and yet someone whose goal is to build you up and to point you to Jesus? We're not meant to walk alone. We need leaders. People to come alongside us and teach us God's word. Who will go to God for us. Who can help us when we have troubles and problems. And without that, when we're left in the cold and dark by ourselves, whether it's our choice or whether it's where we find ourselves, that is a recipe for withering and decay. But there's a solution. 
And Jethro proposes it in verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as sheaves of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. If a great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. They will bear the burden with you. And if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. In other words, the solution is not to get rid of all leaders. Actually, the solution is more. Let's have more leaders. Because think about what Moses is trying to do. He's trying to bear the burdens for a a few hundred thousand people. That's not, you can't do that. And not simply because that's take too long, but because how can Moses possibly know them? How can he know their lives? He can't follow up with them and say, well, how, how are you doing? You came to me last week and said you were going through this trouble with, with Greg over here. How's that going? Last week you told me that you, you lost your job. Have you been able to find something? Can we help you? Last week, you told me you're struggling with, with this particular sin. How's it going? How can I pray for you? Yeah. Moses can't mentor each Israelite. He can't teach each Israelite. He can't speak the word of God directly into their lives. But a leader of 10 or 20 could. If there are lots of leaders, and they know each person who they are leading, they can do that. They can speak directly into the lives of those that they're, that they're leading. Or in other words, it also means it's hard to hide sin when someone with authority over you is invested in your life. And it's really easy to hide it if no one knows who you are at church. If you're in a mega church and no one knows your name and you sit in the back and you leave afterwards, it's really easy to hide sin. It's really hard When you're in a smaller church, and there's lots of leaders, and they know who you are, and they're asking you every Sunday, how you doing? What's going on? This structure provides accountability for you, and that's a good thing. But this structure also provides accountability for leaders. One fallen man who's above everyone else, he can get away with a lot. But when there are lots of leaders who are all, Lord willing, godly men who love truth and who hate unjust gain, they are able to hold each other accountable. They're able to help each other as leaders and say, hey, you're not leading very well. Stop it. This is why in the OPC, pastors don't wield supreme authority. I don't hold supreme authority over you or over the church. And no one elder holds supreme authority. All the officers in Reformation hold each other accountable. We work together. We call each other out. We look into each other's lives as much as we are there for you. And even if we should fail as a church, there's authority over us. There's a presbytery, a a joint collection of churches who can speak into us in our church, in our session, and say, what you are doing is not good. 
And if the presbytery should fail, above them, there's the general assembly of all the presbyteries, and they can speak and say, what you are doing is not good. In other words, no one is bearing the burden alone. Not me, not Pastor Brett, not the elders, not you. None of us is doing this alone. And when this happens, and when we all join together and submit to each other, and when you submit to your leaders, something amazing starts to happen. Verse 23 again. If you do this, and if God commands you, you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. Notice first that Jethro says, if you do this, Moses, uh, assuming God commands you to do it, you know, the ESV says, uh, God will direct you, but the point that Jethro is making is, if you do what I say, and if God tells you to do what I say, right? it's not just me and my opinion, but if God thinks that this is good, means we're not just talking about what's wise or what might be a good solution, but there's lots of good solutions. We're seeking to obey God. What does God say we should do? And if this is how it should be, you will be able to endure. And all of these people will go to their homes in peace. So we've talked a lot about the negative lines of the passage, right? What happens when we don't do this, when we don't submit to authority, when we don't have good godly leadership, when one man is domineering over everybody else, we know what happens. But the positive side of this, when things are working how they should, when, there are, when there's a plurality of godly leaders that God has appointed, God's people are able to endure which means they arrive at their destination and they do so in peace or shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word. We translate it peace. But shalom is a really, really beautiful word. Because shalom is what happens when sinful people who have been redeemed by the Lord dwell together in unity. Shalom is what happens when the body of Christ grows together towards Jesus. Shalom is what happens when we bear one another's burdens. When we submit to each other. When we encourage each other. When we speak God's word to each other. When we have leaders who are godly who tell us what God says without flinching and courageously. When we have leaders who are pouring into us. Shalom grows. Shalom is seen in homes that are open in hospitality. Shalom is seen in hearts that are open to each other. Shalom is seen in mouths open in praise of God. Shalom is more than just peace. It's more than just feeling nice. It's more than just a lack of conflict. Shalom is, is unity and joy and love. And how do we get there? <laughs> Sounds great, right? Don't you watch Shalom? Well, yeah. So how do we get it? Well, according to Jethro, it comes through godly leaders leading us towards Jesus. Shalom comes through godly leaders who lead and teach and judge God's people. 
Because six times in this passage, the word judge is mentioned. And of course, we think, well, Moses, that must mean that Moses was judging them. Like, hey, you're terrible. You're the worst. I hate you. You're ugly. All these things, right? We think that's what judgment means. But here, what it really means is they're resolving disputes, but not just in the civil, like a judge that you'd go before, he, he renders a verdict. A civil judge is concerned with justice, and so are godly church leaders, but they're actually concerned with far more than justice. A godly leader desires that everyone involved become more like Jesus. Not just that justice is is met, but that everyone in the situation, both the one who has committed the offense and the one offended, would know what God says to them how they are to respond, and what Jesus desires of them. A godly leader desires that his people know God more. That they would know God's word more. That they would love God more. And when this happens, when the word of God gets into our hearts, it leaves less room for sin and far more room for love. There's less room to compete with each other. There's more room to serve each other. There's less room for meaningless disputes and squabbles, and there's far more room for sacrifice and service and love. And when shalom is taken root in a church, when God's word has been planted deeply in our hearts, Everyone can tell. The unbelievers can tell, even though they may not know why. They can come into a church and say, something is different here. Something here is special. Something here is beautiful. And this comes from Jesus. This comes when we submit to Jesus. And when he raises up leaders to lead us, not to themselves, not to their own words and their own opinions, but when they point you to Jesus. Because even Moses, here's this man trying to do it all himself, even still, he is not concerned with how does Moses look. We can actually learn a lot about Jesus from what Moses does in this passage. We know Moses has failed. We know he's imperfect. We know he has sinned. But that actually points people to Jesus because they see that Moses is not it. Moses is not God. He's not their savior. So when I fail, or when the elders fail, or when the deacons fail, or when Pastor Brett fails, what that should do for you is point you back to Jesus to remind you, I'm not Jesus. The elders are not Jesus. We're not your saviors. We're here to point you to your Savior. And so you don't entrust yourself to sinful men. You entrust yourself to Jesus. Because ultimately, the things that they do should point you to Jesus. Because look at what Moses does. What Jethro tells Moses, here's what you should do. And this is verses um, 19 and 20. You, Moses, shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God 
And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws, make them know the way in which they should walk, and what they must do. In other words, Moses is showing the people, here's what Jesus does for you. Jesus stands before God, and he represents you. Jesus is in the presence of the Father, even right now, praying for you. Jesus speaks to you his word. That's what's happening today when we open up the Bible. Jesus is speaking. He's warning us, but he's also comforting us, leading us, guiding us. And also that we would know him more. Because what does all this point to? Moses can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. But someone did. Because when Jesus went to the cross and died, he was alone. There was no one there. His disciples fled him. Even God the Father forsook him. And Jesus was alone. But he bore the burden. He was able to endure alone because he is God. Which means the cross is where Jesus Christ, by himself, died for your sin, paid the full penalty for it, and gives you his righteousness. And he did that all by himself so that you don't have to be by yourself anymore. You don't have to bear anything in this life alone because Jesus Christ died for you. And because even now, he stands before God for you, thinking about you and praying for you because he does not leave you alone. And what this does, when we come to realize this and cling to this truth, shalom happens. Because here on this earth, we only taste shalom in tiny, tiny ways. But when Jesus returns, we will see him face to face. And all the shalom that we have right now is going to seem insignificant. Because we're actually going to be at peace with God forever. That is what we're looking forward to. But until we get there, Jesus leads us in peace every single week when he gives us the table. Because the Lord's Supper declares the peace of Christ. That Jesus Christ has died for you. That he was alone. And yet he endured. And he is with you. He does not leave you to figure it out all by yourself. He gives you a church. He gives you leaders. And in the Lord's Supper, He gives you Himself. Because this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So let's go before this table and receive Jesus and receive His peace. I'd like to invite the elders forward so that we can do that this morning. Let's pray. Mighty God, we give thanks again for this meal. For filling us, Lord, not our stomachs, but filling our hearts, filling our souls 
Lord, we thank you for all you've done. We ask that you would work your word deep in our hearts, that you would give us the desire to surrender to Jesus, to submit to the leaders that he has ordained over us, not because they're perfect men, but because we love you and we want to grow closer to you. Lord, thank you for all you've done. Thank you that you do not leave us alone. Help us, Lord, to not walk alone, to not try to. We ask that you would give us peace, this peace that surpasses understanding, that you would grow us as a body, that we might grow in love for each other. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.